Let's turn over in the sixth chapter of Matthew tonight. This is shortly after Jesus was baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. He began to teach the things that he was setting down as truths to to them and to us. This is kind of known as the Sermon on the Mount, where he was setting forth some principles of life and some warnings, letting us know what it was going to be like in the kingdom and how different it was going to be from the religion of the day. And so we break in here in the sixth chapter where he says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. Now alms are are giving. Uh, There were plenty of people who were begging, and that's the only way they knew how they could exist. And they made provision in the temple and other places so that they could give alms. Uh, people would sit along by the temple door hoping that someone who was coming in would give them something. And uh, many times the priests or the religious leaders would take advantage of the crowds and make sure that everyone saw them giving something to them. Uh, We have religious people today who dress up in religious garb that it's known by everyone that they are some kind of a priest or they're a nun or, or they're um, uh, of some religion or another that wears different clothes, clerical clothes they call it, and everyone acts a little different around them. And this is what he's talking about. He said, don't try to gather a crowd when you're giving something to someone. He said, When thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. You see, that's where they did it, in the church buildings and in the streets. And he called them hypocrites, which is really actors. I remember years ago there was a Shirley Temple movie and it was involved with the plantations in the south where the people had slaves. And and the slaves had their meeting out under the uh, trees and... They had a baptism, and Shirley Temple was watching this along with some black children, and when they got all done with the baptism, this black church that met out under the trees, they all went their way, and Shirley Temple and the two or three little black children stayed behind, so Shirley Temple thought she would uh, follow their example and baptize these little friends of hers. So they went through the whole ritual that they had been watching and she was about to baptize those other children but they were scared to death of the water and they didn't want to go in and worse yet they didn't want to go under the water and so she had an awful time convincing them they should be baptized. And you see, that was all right. She was learning what the Bible taught about it from these people but uh, The hypocrites here, the actors, the Jewish priests and leaders wanted to have everybody see what they were doing. Sound a trumpet, look at me, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. 
But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. If you want to help someone, just go ahead and do it. You don't have to announce it to anybody. Just go ahead and do it and leave it at that. <coughs> that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, because that's what they wanted. They wanted people to see them doing their oblations or walking around uh, uh, doing their uh, rosary or, or uh, whatever they do out there in their courtyards. They had their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. On the radio in the afternoon, out of Jackson, Wisconsin, there is a program put on by the Roman Catholic Church where they go through all the stations or whatever they do, and they recite the rosary, and, and there's a whole crowd of people in the background there, and they're all saying this over and over again, every day, same thing, over and over again. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. Not vain repetitions, as the heathens do. For they think that they should be heard for their much speaking. But uh, be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Well, then someone says, well, then what's the use of asking? If God knows what we need, why then why doesn't he just provide it? Well, that isn't the way he works. He wants us to ask. He wants us to feel our dependence upon him. And not only that, but he wants to grant the request that we ask in faith so that we can have more confidence in him. So he said, after this manner, therefore, pray you, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now that's an interesting statement. There are only angels and saved people in heaven. And his will has been done on earth with them, that are those saved people, in order for them to have gotten to heaven. So he desires that his will, his will be done on earth to the saving of one soul so that they might go to heaven where his will is done by everyone. Give us this day our daily bread. Does that sound like we are beggars? No, I don't think so. Jesus gave this example prayer to help us to understand that God wants to provide everything that we need, including our temporal things. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We talked about evil this morning and what it meant. <coughs> said, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See, this kingdom, this church, belongs to God. And the power that is expressed by God through His church belongs to Him. And the glory for whatever is accomplished belongs to Him. So everything belongs to Him. Then He says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's an important feature because there are certain things that people do to others and when they do it to them, if it is evil, they are more interested in revenge than they are in forgiveness. To get even with someone for what they have done. But Jesus said, forgive men the things that they do to you. It's a whole lot harder to hold a grudge and hatred in your heart for someone. That just eats away at you. But he's not talking about people that are unsaved should conduct themselves this way. Remember, he's making a contrast between the hypocrites and the religious world and those whom he was, was uh, teaching here who would be saved. We've got to distinguish between those who are unsaved and those who are saved in order to follow his teachings. If you forgive not mend their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And it's more than just grudges we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about forgiving and forgetting what people do. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. Especially if someone has hurt you deeply and has done things against you or your family or your name or your person and... It had to be set forth this way for Jesus wanted us to know what it was going to be like to live for him. He said, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance for the disfigure your faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Christianity is not a, an open show. It's not a big bazaar of television nonsense that I've seen uh, go on uh, where people are just putting on such a ridiculous act of religion that it isn't even, doesn't even compare with Christianity at all, and yet they still go on doing it. They have their reward. But thou when thy fastest anoint thy head, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Now money is very important to everyone. We all have to have it in our money-changing society. Uh, we have cost of uh, living and existing in this country. 
and any other place in the world. But the attitude that we have toward them is what Jesus was trying to tell us. He said, lay it not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. See, people can become very uptight about money and uh, uh, through one psychological reason or another stored up in savings and whatever, uh, in uh, goods and uh, <clears throat> get ready for your old age and the time that you retire and make provision. And it's good to do that. <clears throat> but his attitude here is, don't lay it up just for this earth and live for this earth. He said, the moth and the rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. <coughs> we have a <coughs> free enterprise system in our country which, which tells everyone that there, the sky is the limit. You can make as much money and be as wealthy uh, as you want to be uh, through the good fortune of hard work and whatever comes along. You can, uh, in this country, just um, uh, break the bank. People have done it. They've come over from foreign countries, can't even speak our language, and yet in just a short time have become millionaires. And people who have been brought up in abject poverty and ignorance and didn't have a Chinaman's chance in the world, but because of athletic ability, they signed contracts which gave them millions and millions of dollars. And then they went out, and what did they do with it? They spent it as fast as they could. And when their careers were done, they went back into the ghettos, and they were lost uh, to whatever was going on, and you never hear about them until they surface again as a totally dissipated drug addict. You see, they didn't know how to handle it. Their treasures were here upon the earth and they were just going to live it up to the greatest degree. It says, don't lay your treasures up here upon the earth. Don't set your affections on the things of the earth. We're not going to be here forever. And there's a whole lot of things that interrupt it and take it away from us. Solomon understood that and he was the richest man that ever lived and he was frustrated in his old age to realize that Though he had gained all this wealth and it all belonged to him, when he died, he was going to leave it to someone, and how did he know what they were going to do with it? But he said, "Where lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If God should give you a good job and a certain amount of wealth, then use it for his glory and for the kingdom's work. That's what he means by laying it up in heaven because the moths and the rust don't corrupt it there. There's nothing corruptible in heaven. The second law, law of thermodynamics does not apply in heaven where everything is going to return to its natural state. Uh, that, isn't, that doesn't apply there. There is no rust up there. There is no um, thieves up there. There's, there aren't any moths up there because there's no creatures of any kind. Uh, there's nothing up there that can destroy the treasures that we send on ahead uh, in our lives. Because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. There are some people that are going, aren't going to have anything to do with Christianity in this country. 
They have jobs and they are making good money and they are climbing up the ladder of success in the corporate uh, uh, community and they're not about to throw that over for this little religion. Uh, they realize that they could not do the things that they do and follow after Christ, so they're going to make it to the top in the corporate ladder, and Christianity will not get them there. And so they're not going to do that. I was golfing the other day, and a couple of uh, young uh, up-and-coming men from the Johnson's Wax Corporation were out there, and, and uh, I got to talking to them a little bit. One sounded like he had a southern uh, accent, and I asked him where he was from, and he said, Bogalusa, Louisiana. And uh, I asked him if he knew anything about Jimmy Swaggart and his little empire down there in Baton Rouge. And um, he said, no, I don't know much about him. He said, I don't pay any attention to him. And they're only 60 miles away, Bogalusa, from uh, Baton Rouge, and I couldn't understand why he didn't uh, uh, know anything about Jimmy Swaggart. I'm sure everyone talks about him down there, but see, this is a young man who is climbing the corporate ladder. He hasn't got any time for Jimmy Swaggart or anybody else because that's, uh, that's religion, and that, that would hinder him from his climb, for his treasures are down here. And his heart was in his treasures, I'm sure. They looked like they were young men who were on their way up. But where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. If you can read between the lines of what Jesus was saying while he was teaching, you've got to realize that there were a lot of religious leaders and people standing around listening to this. And they were smarter than the common people. And they caught on to the things that Jesus said or maybe the things that Jesus didn't say. And they knew many times he was talking about them. And he says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In the matter of Believing and living for God and for Christ, there must be a choice. We cannot serve both. We cannot hang on to the world and hope to uh, walk with God at the same time. Because the world and God are going in opposite directions. And if you hang on to both, you're going to be torn apart. We have to decide sometime in our lifetime which master we are going to serve and which master we are going to love for Jesus plainly stated that we cannot serve both at the same time. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, that is worry. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. You wouldn't think so in our country sometimes, would you? You would think that the body and the raiment and all that goes along with the, the pampering of the flesh is far more important than one's spiritual life, the way many people in our country live. Then he says, the fowls of the air, they don't sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Yes, the heavenly Father does feed them. I was sitting at home waiting to come this evening, and I was watching the birds eating 
by the bird feeder and a couple of little sparrows were there and some doves and some starlings and some blackbirds and I turned my head uh, inside the room and I turned it back. Uh, when, I, when I was looking there, I saw two little sparrows eating underneath the feeder and I turned my head and when I looked back, there was a hawk. He came out of that sky so fast, I never even saw him. He had that little sparrow. And he killed it and then flew off with it. And here that little sparrow had no idea what was happening. He was too busy eating. And that hawk just swooped down there that fast. I mean, he was right there. I've seen it happen one other time there. Uh, and that's how nature is. The fowls of the air. And are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit under your statutes? You know what a cubit is? That's 18 inches. Or it could be 21. We that are short, <laughs> could we, what, what advantage would there be to be that tall anyway? Eight, 18 more inches. That would be, uh, well, if you wanted to play basketball and for a living, I suppose it would be all right. But just by thinking about it, could it happen? Certainly not. I don't know what the record is for stretching people on the rack, but I don't know if it's 18 inches, but I've heard that they can stretch people and make them a foot taller than they are. But that's a horrible thought, isn't it? But just thinking about it isn't going to make you any taller. And after all, someone said it isn't the size of the, the boy in the fight, it is the size of the fight in the boy. So. It isn't so much that we are tall. The average American man is 5'9", and I, the average American woman, I think, is about 5'4". So uh, some of us are pretty close to average. It says, why take your thought of raiment? That's clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They tall not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, these are practical things. He's talking about money, and he's talking about attitudes of prayer and, and attitudes of giving. He's talking about uh, uh, food and clothing. These are practical things. Yeah, some people uh, think that Christianity is not practical at all. It, it's a pie in the sky by and by. It, it is a, a, an ethereal religion, a religious uh, ideology, and it doesn't have any practicality. Oh, yes, it does. It's the most practical thing I've ever heard of in my whole lifetime because it gets right down to where we live, both inside and out. And then he says, if God took care of the grass of the field and the beautiful flowers and all, he'll clothe you, even though you only have a little faith. Wherefore, take no thought that is worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of these things. Well, uh, we have got in our society um, a uh, idea that... Um, uh, Uncle Sam will take care of me. I don't have to worry about anything. Uncle Sam will take care of me. Well, you know, it's not true like that in Ethiopia. Uncle, whoever he is in Ethiopia, isn't taking care of anybody. 
those people are starving to death. Not only that, but they have sent them out of the camps where they're at, out into the desert, which is sure death. But over here, we've got a mentality that says, oh, Uncle Sam will take care of me. All these things do the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Why is it that people want to run themselves ragged for things when God says that's not the most important part of your life? He knows that we have need of things. We live in this world the same as the Gentiles. Uh, we sought after things when we were sinners, and that's all we cared about. We didn't uh, concern with our soul at all. We were not seeking first the kingdom. We were seeking things. That's what we were doing. Uh, all of our life and all of our thought was down here in this earth because that's all we thought we were, uh, existed until we heard the gospel. Then we began to realize that there was a soul within us that while we were crying and seeking after things, our soul was crying after God. Seek first, things first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the things, these things shall be added unto you. Take uh, therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Care forbidden is my margin here. Worry is forbidden in the Christian experience. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. A very important principle that Jesus tried to, to, to make us understand, to be careful how we judge other people. Um, we don't know the secrets of everybody's heart. We don't know how they think and what motivates them altogether. So we ought to go a little easy, even though people sometimes act outwardly and we misinterpret them. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Jesus called a person who was uh, nitpicking or finding fault with other people while they were in trouble themselves as a hypocrite. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. There are some people you just can't talk to about spiritual things. They mock everything you say about God. They're so hard-hearted and so wicked that it is offensive to them to talk about God. That's what he's talking about. Don't give that which is holy to people like that. He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. See, we don't have to steal. We don't have to steal anything. All you have to do is ask God for it. Anybody that steals is saying, I don't believe what God says anyway. I've got to get it for myself. He said we should ask Him. Seek and ye shall find. 
Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What man of you there is whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Well, I've heard people say, well, I've, I've asked God and I never got anything. But you see, they were asking without ever believing and obeying. Didn't James say that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and a double-minded person who wants to ask God for something so they can use it on themselves, do you think they're going to get anything from God? Certainly not. Therefore all things whatsoever you do, would that men should do unto you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets, and this is also the golden rule. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. I don't find many believers in my travels. I find a lot of professors, but I don't find many believers. So what Jesus said here is true. The, the gate is wide, the way is broad, and many are going there. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know why few are finding it? Few are looking for it. And Clark said, and fewer yet stay in the way, and fewer still make it to the end. So there's a whole lot of fews here, aren't there? Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. As long as his seed remains in us, his life, we cannot sin. But if that seed departs through neglect or temptation, yielding to temptation, and we sin, then we would be a corrupt tree. A good tree, a good believer, as long as his seed is in him, cannot sin. And a sinner, who even with their profession, cannot live a righteous, holy life without the experience of salvation. The good and the evil trees are these two kinds of people. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now we're talking about preachers here. A lot of people have preached in the name of Jesus. Down through the centuries, down through the years, and even yet today, people have prophesied in our preaching in the name of Jesus. And in thy name have cast out devils. They appear to cast out demons. And in thy name done many wonderful works. 
was talking with this man at the restaurant one day and he said his mother is 79 years old and she does a lot of church work and she feels that that's going to get her to heaven. Haven't we done many wonderful works? You know why people work so much around church situations? Lay people, uh, they'll, they'll do a whole lot for church uh, or they'll go to the Mass every day if they have a Mass and, and they will kind of stay close to the church work and they'll do a lot of benevolent things in church work. These are the ones who have done many wonderful works. Nothing wrong with doing good works. It's the motive behind it which says to them, if I hang around the church and do a lot of good things, God will take me in at the end. And so Jesus then said, I will profess unto them. Who? Those that preached in his name, those that professed to cast out devils, and those that did a lot of good things in the church. All three of these people. I will profess unto them, I never knew you. You and I were never intimate. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. See why sinning Christianity isn't ever going to make it. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It is truly a foolish person that builds their life upon the things of this world. To build their life upon the pleasures and satisfaction and happiness and, and uh, gratification of the senses of this world is a foolish person. If that's all they think life is all about, uh, in fact the word says that uh, life does not consist in the abundance of things that people possess, but rather life is every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what life is all about. There is instruction in this word for every need of our lives. God has seen to that in bringing this book to being uh, uh, complete as it is. Everything that we need in life is in the Bible and we can find it there. That's what I was trying to tell this man who is kind of searching after God. He got hung up over here in some Baptist church now and I'm trying to tell him that uh, he needs to be careful about what he hears and what is true and what isn't. But it's important that we understand that we have to build our life and our philosophy of living around the Bible. That's the most important thing. Because when the hard times and the difficulties of life come, we can make it. We can uh, come out a victor. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, and surely they must have been, because this was a whole lot of new things to them. For he taught taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What is the authority that we have? It's the Word, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit are the two witnesses 
that have the authority in this world that we live in. Jesus didn't teach like just another rabbi and another teacher. No, he didn't teach like that at all. He taught as one having the authority, and of course it came from heaven. In our evening light book on page 383 is a song we want to sing in closing. Drifting away from Jesus far from his gentle fold, wrecked on the waves of sorrow out in night so cold. Oh, am I lost forever? Lost amid fiendish din, oh, can there be no lifeboat on the dark ocean of sin? Well, there is. There always has been ever since Jesus made it possible. Let's stand as we sing this. Along with conviction for sin, the Holy Spirit offers hope. What a despairing thing it would be if you were just under deep conviction for the guilt of your sins and the, and the fear of the punishment in hell if you were not offered a way out of it. It would all be a one-sided thing. You're bad, you're on your way to hell, there's no hope for you. But there is hope. We've got to realize first of all, that we're lost before we're ever going to do anything about being found, aren't we? When we are convinced or persuaded that we are a lost sinner on our way to hell and God has provided a way out, when we realize this, then we're on believing ground. Then we can do something about the situation. We alone can decide to throw it all off and come to Christ and plead upon His mercy. That's what we can do. So I want to give you that opportunity if you want to do that tonight. Drifting away from Jesus, far from His gentle fold, wrecked on the waves of sorrow.